You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. How do you think having the uh, FIFA World Cup in Qatar is going for Qatar? Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. I, I looked at that decision for them to spend so much money to bring the games to them and the and how FIFA bent over backwards to do it and having it uh, at they weird times and I think they, they got bent over. Uh, well they, they you know they, they, they certainly they got a lot of money to got do it. Bribed. But I think it is backfiring on whatever Qatar thought they were gonna get out of this in terms of PR uh is not is not working well kind for of them. a kind of a shame for for them. Um, but that's what you get when you bribe FIFA and there's corrupt politics involved, uh, you get bad results. So I don't feel bad for them. I think a lot of the criticism is unjustified. Um, not necessarily that I agree with their political stance on any given issue, oh, but Budweiser got the rug pulled out from them two days before the, the thing is they're, started. they're getting criticized for their laws by the West. <laughs> like, Guys, we 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 can't go country by country throughout the whole world telling them to live like we live. No, you know what did you expect when you went to Qatar? Right. That's uh, they're going to do things the right. way that they're going to do things. Yeah. We, maybe we just need to shut up and play soccer. Yeah. No, they they're getting railed by everyone. And if they weren't, if they didn't get themselves in this position, spending a bunch of money, hiring a bunch of migrant workers having a bunch of deaths when constructing a whole bunch of stadiums just to get some publicity only to have it go sideways and rob a more deserving country of hosting the world cup. I would feel bad, but well, I don't feel bad. I think, I think you make a good point in that, that we can't get upset with them for running the country the way they want to run the country in terms of, uh, you know, fashion, you know, restrictions and alcohol restrictions and those types mm. of things. It reminds me of a story. I remember somebody years ago had interviewed i think phil robinson the 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 dynasty guy yeah you know the old guy with the be- you know gray beard down to his stomach and he had said something about that he thought homosexuality was wrong or something yeah and and this person got all up in arms that that he thought this <laughs> and so this, the other guy says well, what did you think he thought? Yeah, <laughs> what, well, you asked him that question. I think the gray-bearded, yeah, duck the gray-bearded might uh, be super progressive, right? Yeah, what did you yeah. think? Like, you can't get upset with this guy for thinking that. That's what he thinks. I, it's I, just it's, funny. It, everyone's fooling themselves thinking that Qatar was going to have any sort of tolerance to what we tolerate in the no. West. I, I saw this interview. I don't know if it was the king or the, you know, some higher-up spokesperson for Qatar. And they said, well, don't you think it's wrong that uh, you can get arrested for being gay in Qatar? And he was like, well, we arrest people for PDA, like yeah. just man and woman PDA. Oh, yeah. And it was like the interviewer like couldn't compute. They're like, wait, wait. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> oh, that's a whole different world. It's not that you just don't let this one thing happen. You don't even, let, you don't even like people holding hands in public. Oh, oh, well, yeah. oh it's a whole different completely different world and culture okay well i mean you you've heard the story of my dad living over in that part of the world for a while and uh, he went to the beach and decided to go swimming nobody was there 
And so he has these swim shorts on and he's going swimming and the cops came over and they're like, dude, you can't be, they didn't, yeah, they, say, they they didn't say dude, to, but they're they tried like, to arrest him. They tried to arrest him for swimming for swimming, swim for swimming in shorts. Yeah, yeah. You know, you gotta have a full body suit or yeah, whatever. Yeah. It was, it's different, you know, and that, okay. World. They get to do their thing. You know. No, they could change their mind. I don't think they're going to. No. There are certain ways that our minds work that are unchangeable. And that's what our guest today is here to talk about. Amy Bruski is a sought-after speaker for Fortune 500 companies, associations, and entrepreneurial organizations in a variety of industries. And she is the president of Colby Corporation. She's also chairman of the board for Colby's nonprofit arm, the Center for Cognitive Abilities, which focuses on research for health and education initiatives. What is Colby? Colby is a unique measurement of cognitive abilities. So it doesn't measure intelligence. It does not measure personality. It does not measure social style. It measures the instinctive ways you take action when you strive towards a goal. It's been incredibly transformative in my business, in Sean's business. It's helped us both become better financial advisors. I think better people in general, because it's taught me that people have unique skills and abilities and their mind works in special ways that aren't going to change ever. And my mind works in its own way and it's not going to change. So I need to focus on how to highlight that instead of focusing on how to conform. We talked about recognizing how you define success, capitalizing on your unique strengths, knowing the reasons for your actions and how your mind informs those actions and teaching people how to interact uniquely with you to get the best results. I know a lot about Colby and I learned a ton from this conversation. So I know you will too, whether or not you're a Colby expert, stick around, listen to Amy's wisdom, and you will make better decisions for it. I'm Sanger Smith with my dad, Sean Smith. This is Decidedly. Amy, Hello. I feel like I'm meeting a member of my favorite band. <laughs> Why do you say that? Because Colby has Love played it. such a role in my life and I'm meeting someone who's really integral to what y'all are doing. I love that. Well, I'm so excited because we have another Colby expert on this conversation. So this is fun for me. Yeah. yeah. So, so Amy and I were at conference in, uh, I don't know if I told you this thing, we were at the conference in Phoenix and they were having some reception up on the top, you know, the rooftop bar type thing. Yeah. At the end of the day. And it's beautiful, right? I mean, there's not a cloud in the sky, sun's going down and this thing is streaking across the sky and it looks like an airplane with a contrail behind it, but not. Okay. It was like huge, looked like a meteor or something. And turns out it was the Falcon 9 rocket that they had fired off from California that we could see where we were in Arizona. It was really pretty. You remember that? I uh, do. It was amazing. And I can't believe we all just had cameras out because we were on the roof and the sun was going down. So it was perfect. 
Yeah, no, nobody knew what it was. <laughs> to research, right. like, what in the world is that? <laughs> is yeah. the world ending? Is the world is ending? Super cool. Yeah. yeah no one had any idea. You said Falcon Nine, like I'm supposed to know that though. Oh, I didn't know it. I. Oh uh, yeah, I, it's one of those things. You yeah. Google something, and then I, uh, you, have the, you have the Jeopardy I, question. I talked to our inside source <laughs> at yeah, SpaceX, okay. who uh, who told oh, me. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Well, Colby has really made a difference in the way I think about people's unique skills. Uh, the way that I understand my own strengths and weaknesses, the way uh, we work as a team and the way I work with my clients. How did you get started in the world of understanding strengths and weaknesses and understanding how the brain works? Oh my gosh. Well, talk about decision-making. Very early in my career, I was climbing the corporate ladder doing really traditional, you know, I was on this traditional path and on paper, very successful. I was making more money than any of my friends. I had gotten a bunch of promotions. I kind of had this mindset where I said, I'm going to say yes to everything for five years. That was my deal with myself. Five years, say yes to everything. So I got moved five different times. I had several promotions, five times in three years, Ooh, moved around the country. How long did it take you to realize that was a bad idea? <laughs> oh, about probably a year in. Okay, I was yeah. so in over my head. I took this one promotion where I was a divisional supervisor from Toronto down to Florida. I had the whole East Coast and I thought, oh my goodness, I am not qualified for this. But that may be a separate conversation. But as I was doing that, I had a lot of opportunities and it was it was really working on paper. But one day I was just realizing how miserable I was. And that's when Kathy Colby asked me the question, how do you define success? And I thought, Okay. No one's ever asked me that question. I said, well, kind of, I'm, I'm being successful right now. I've got opportunities. I'm, you know, I'm getting good promotions. And she said, well, I, I say success is the freedom to be yourself. That's my definition of success. And it was like this light bulb moment where I realized I'm miserable. I have no freedom to be myself. This role that I'm in is not suited to me. So it's, great and it's going somewhere, but this is not where I want to be. So I left that role pretty soon after that. And um, I was at the time, my husband was a professional baseball player. So we met in college. So we had this crazy life where we would meet up on weekends and we didn't have a family yet. So we dated for a while and then we're married for a while and both had our careers. And I said, you know what? I'm leaving this. I'm going back to Arizona. And then Kathy asked me to work for me to just work part-time and do some consulting. So I was a corporate sales trainer and she's like, come in and train my salespeople. And within a couple of days of being in the environment, I realized how much I loved it. I thought I love business. I was a business major, but my true passion is human behavior. And here's this organization that is marrying human behavior and business. And so that's kind of how I got started in the, in the company, but the personal application for me completely changed my life. Don't you love that question? How do you define success? Like yeah. so many people, and I did the same thing, move forward towards goals that really aren't our own goals or uh -huh. move towards you know, barometers of quote unquote success right. that, that we didn't even define, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's our parents put some sort of unspoken or sometimes spoken expectation on us to achieve certain mm -hmm. things, do certain things, be certain things, um, or maybe our friends or our neighbors, or, or sometimes we just put it on ourselves, and it's no one's fault at all. And, and we pursue something, I think particularly in this country, pursuing 
climbing the corporate ladder, make more money, get a job, get a promotion, get a raise, get another bonus. Well, I, I think there's a knee-jerk reaction to define it in financial terms. Well, yes. because you know. it's um, concrete, yeah, right. Uh-huh. Uh, because it's concrete, it's measurable. I can measure yeah. that. I'm not my saying salary, it's right. I'm saying yeah, people yeah. Do it. yeah. Well, my and, and and I think it's unique to it's unique to our culture. Not unique in that we're the only one, but it's not a global phenomenon. Uh-huh. You know, not every country or nation of people mm-hmm. define success in the way that we do as Americans. There's a lot of good to it, um, but that's something that we. A lot. I think a lot of people have felt that way, but not everyone escapes it. Right. And I think knowing yourself um, lets you kind of weed out all the good advice gone bad. That's what David Colby and I call it, good advice gone bad. It's good advice on the surface about ways you should make decisions on your career or how you should get things done or how to be productive. There is tons of advice, but it only works for some people or it just goes too far. So you yeah. know that... Um, Anything worth doing is worth doing well. Mm-hmm. That is just crap. I cannot believe we teach our kids that. It is, there's lots of stuff you got to get done every day that's not worth your best effort. So it just has to get checked off. And then there's other things that are worth, you know, some of your best efforts and more mental energy and all of that. And so what's, I think it's the same worth, thing. That what's worth a bad effort? What's worth about effort? Um, anything that is a good fit for your mental energy, which I know we for, can talk about. Okay. And what are the priorities right now? So there's some things that either somebody else should be doing or you just need to get done. You know it's going to be stressful for you because it's not natural to you. So I'm just going to do it quickly. I'm going to get it done. And then there's things where the end result matters a ton. And you got to decide, okay, I'm really going to give this better effort. But that means saying no to a bunch of stuff Mm. because we have this mental energy available to us. It's finite. So you cannot use it up on something that's kind of not a great use for your effort. I call it like, um, you know, best and highest use of your strengths. Like that's kind of what I ask myself. Okay. So Mm -hmm. I want to distinguish between something because my mind immediately went to my neighbors hate me for this, but I don't do a good job of mowing my lawn. I don't care about (laughs) it to me. It's right. stupid grass. Like I don't right. even like the fact that it grows. I, I, I want, <laughs> just want to not deal with it, but I don't want to look like, you know, it's some vacant house and no one lives there. It's, sure. You know, right. selling drugs or something. So right. I keep it kind of nice, but I'm not edging the thing up and I'm not planting it to make it, make it all green all year round. Now we're, we're doing a bare minimum job. Um, mm-hmm. What it sounds like you're saying is outsource the things that you're not great at. Or sure. outsource the things that you're not doing your best effort at. Right. Or, or just part of it. Hire, do yeah. I have to hire a professional? Well, you have to get it done. You have to get it done. Yeah. yeah. So either do it yourself or delegate it out. Mm-hmm. But there's a distinction. There's a distinction in delegating it out so that it can be done in the best possible way versus right. like I'm going to intentionally do a job that's not excellent. Well, I, I think when you look at things, you look at what your strengths are and you look at what you're, what you're good at, what you have a passion for, uh, what has a straight, you know, what does the world need more of that you can make money doing all the things that aren't that you shouldn't be doing. Right. Uh-huh. If it's, yeah. But see, even that mindset, this is why I'm, 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 I'm curious what you think, Amy, that mindset is informed, I would say by the same um, cultural persuasion to achieve, 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 grow, 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 do more, 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 right? Like the, 
like what you're describing is um what do they call this in economics 101 right um not marginal utility how did i just completely blank on vocab <laughs> you know what i'm talking about um jeez, uh, uh, like efficient output right i'm right. not i'm not the best guy at mowing lawns i'm better i can make more of a difference in my role as an entrepreneur and as a financial advisor than i can mowing lawns so i'm gonna let somebody else do that that way i can focus my energy on sure. what i'm really good at but why i'm not gonna i'm not gonna like actually take off work to mow my lawn right I'm going to mow my lawn when I could have been just, you know, lifting weights in the backyard or hanging out with family or something. It's not always to get like the maximum output that we as a collective can hope to possibly achieve. Right. Well, I think that's where you just define what's the end result that you're looking for. And so it's pulling all of that together. One is like, what's the expectation? Is this a bare minimum thing with your lawn or should it be a little bit better? You just got to decide. And so you have to let some expectations go. And then from there, decide what's the way to get there. And, and that's where it's unique. And so we're talking about mowing lawns, but this, this is like anything at work. So if, if I delegate something to someone, I have to define what does excellent look like? What is the end result that they have to get to? But then give them as much freedom as possible to get there in a way that's free to them. If they want to go get their coworker to help with part of it that they're not as great at, that's fine too. But there just yeah, needs yeah. to, first you got to decide what's the end result how how far are you going on excellence on that and then the how is where your unique strengths yeah are. committing to excellence needs to be focused maybe yeah. is what we're saying yeah sure commit commit to excellence and the things that are worth doing excellently yeah, yeah. I, I heard somebody say one time that anything worth doing is worth doing poorly you know that you, <laughs> you have to you know, start out doing it badly because you're not going to be mm. great when you start but to be great you have to start and that's right be willing to try it and do it badly first because you yeah. know you're gonna mess it up so that brings a really good point up is i kind of feel like all young people at some point should have a role just like i described where you're working against your natural strengths because that Ooh. struggle helps you find different little tips and tricks for working against your strengths right and how to collaborate and who you should collaborate with and so it's not all pie in the sky let's just make sure our kids never have to work against their strengths either. There's a lot of discovery, like you just said, Sean, and taking stuff on that maybe isn't a great fit for you and then learning along the way. Amy supports hazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm purposely going to put you in this. Actually, let me mention something Kathy Colby does say around this because she's very focused on work with Colby and kids because that's where she started. She started with working with youth and education and then uh, switched into the business world along the way. But she does say everyone puts their kids in sports where they're great at it. So, uh, you know, kids are doing one activity right now. If they're really great at music, just more music. If they're great at football, more and more and more football. She said, you should at least make them pick one or two activities that they're not great at because it leads to humility, leads to appreciation for other, you know, other people and their strengths and all of that. And so she actually does say it was a little bit of hazing, like purposely put your kid, yeah, if they're really, amazing. really athletic, yeah, make them do music. Uh, yeah, because you weren't really good at anything. So I just <laughs> pretty much whatever I put you at. Yeah, yeah, you're you. welcome. We were talking about strengths and utilizing those and fighting against them and, and how that even could be beneficial. Let's let's back up a little bit and talk about 
how Colby uncovers the strengths, how Colby sort of got started, what it's analyzing, what it's evaluating. Take us from there. And then Sean, I'm going to ask you to jump in if you feel like there's anything I'm missing since you have some expertise in this too. Well, let me just start with Kat. You know, Kathy herself has a background in testing. So her father has been called the founder of personnel testing. So EF Wonderlick, and those of you that follow the NFL, for example, have probably heard of the Wonderlick personnel test. Mm -hmm. So it is a cognitive test. It is based on intelligence. And it is um, it was used originally by the government in the military to decide who would remain a foot soldier and who would move up through the ranks. So they were actually using intelligence as the measure early on. And she worked in the family business and would say to her dad, hey, I know a lot of really smart people who don't get a lot done. There's got to be something else in this productivity formula and what makes some people get more done than others. So he kind of challenged her. He said, great, I figured out the cognitive stuff. You you figure this out. So as I'd mentioned, her early work was with kids. And when she started discovering really gifted education and super smart kids, if you totally left them free to be themselves to solve a problem, they had this unique way of starting problem solving every single time. Like if you didn't give them directions and just say, here's a pile of stuff, this is an end result I want. There was this consistent need to take action a certain way. And that's when she started doing some research and really finding that there was this dimension of the mind that was about action and how people get things done. And it's called the conative. So it's spelled C-O-N-A-T-I-B-E. So, or it is about what you do instinctively when you're striving. So she said, gosh, Plato and Aristotle wrote about this all these years ago, that there are these three dimensions of the mind, but nobody ever figured out, can we measure it? So the three dimensions of the mind are kind of fundamental to success for anybody. When you find a fit in your thinking, feeling, and doing mind, that is when you really have this magic. You're in the zone. You would do these things all day and find success. And Colby measures the doing part of the mind, that we all have this instinctive way of taking action. And the more that you're aligned to that, the more that people are satisfied in their roles, you know, it feels effortless, you can get more done. So that three dimensions of the mind is kind of the foundation, but we got to take into account all three. So the first one is cognitive or intelligence, right? Thinking, what are your skills? What comes easy to you? What are your capabilities? That kind of thing. Second one, which I think a lot of people do focus on, which is great, is personality. So the second part of the mind is called the affective more formally, but it's what you think of as motivations, desires, values. We all know we need to be aligned in values. That part of the mind helps indicate what you care enough about to take action on, right? So when you think about decision-making, do I have the capability that would fall into that first part of the mind, the cognitive? Mm. Second part is just, do I care enough about this to really take action and give it a level of effort? And then the thing that tends to be missing in all of that is what do I know about my unique way of taking action? So I can do it. I want to do it. Now, how do I most naturally get things done? And so that's where Colby really comes in, that it's measuring this instinctive need you have to take action in a certain way. And that's foundational for predicting success and where you're going to have stress. So when we look at that, you know, I, I think it's important because, you know, for so long before I started really studying the conative part of the mind, 
I'm thinking, you know, well, if, if there's three parts and I, I wasn't even aware of this third part, how much productivity did I miss? How much opportunity did I walk by without not understanding? How did I make bad decisions? Walk me through a little bit on the different ways that that is compartmentalized. So we all have an instinctive need to take action in these kind of four different modes. So think about the first one is it's all about information. It's to what degree do you need detail up to someone who's much more of a simplifier. Um, and and we, we call that mode fact finder. It's just like, what, what do you need in that? And then there's, think of it as a continuum as someone who will absolutely start the problem solving process by saying, what don't I know? What research can I get? Who can I ask questions of? Um, what's worked well in the past? Now, the I think that's I think I have some of your results. So I don't know if you want to talk oh, you, about that now. Got, yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm so, a I'm a four six seven three. So I, I think more it's yeah, this conceptual. Is, the fact yeah. fact finder is interesting because I'm an eight. Right. And so that for people that are not as familiar, it's it's not a positive or negative. It doesn't mean Sean's worse at this than I am. It doesn't mean that I'm better. Um right. I am better, just not in this thing. Um <laughs> But it, it means that I like to have a lot of information right? and he That's can, right. he can move forward without the same amount of information. And That's right. it's interesting because when we talk about problems, I want to give him the start to finish saga, like everything that went on. And before we ever, it's excruciating. before we had ever heard of Colby, we would have this happen a lot. You know, what would, what the conversations would look like this. I talked to him about problems. Okay, so this is what happened. This is where it started three weeks ago. Da 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 da. Happened to happen. You know, this I said this to this person, and they did this, and da 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 da. And halfway through, he would go, "Okay, got it, got it. Okay, got it." And he would put his hand up, his palm towards me, and he'd say, "Got it." And I would not shut up. I would keep going. Right. And he would try to stop me from talking. And I'm like, "No, but you don't understand because also this happened and this." And I would, and it would just be this battle where I feel like he's not listening. And he can't possibly understand how, you know, mad or excited or whatever I'm feeling. He can't understand it because he doesn't have all the facts yet. Whereas he just didn't need the facts. He didn't need all of the data that I needed. And so he's begging me to shut up so that he can actually make a decision. Because if right. I keep talking and I give him too much information, it will, it, it might make it worse. He might forget what he was thinking. <laughs> he might, he might, we might blow past his like, you know, strike zone. Yeah, because I, I will come to a summary conclusion, a hypothesis very quickly. And I'm like, yeah, I, I got it. And I I try not to kind of throw my palm up anymore, but uh, the way oh, I used to, I'm sure I still do. One of the things I'll notice about you as as somebody who's an eight on FactFinder is we'll be, we'll be sharing information, we'll be talking. And one of the things that Sanger will do is he'll just pull out his phone and, and I'll think he's just like quit on the conversation that he's just distracted and he's trying to multitask and I'm still talking and then he'll go, yep, that's right. Yeah. You got that. You know, <laughs> and he'll fact check me as I'm telling him a story. That's right. Oh <laughs> it could my be God. the dumbest thing too. It could be like an offhand reference to a Yankees game in yeah. 2003, or, you know, some, some quarterback the for the dolphins or in the seventies or yeah. something uh -huh. to look it up. So well, and anything. yeah, Sanger can't move on until he gets that validated or gets. Oh, yeah. So the worst thing I could do to you is, you know, come into your office and say, Hey, off the top of your head, do you know, blah, 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 whatever it is. And if he doesn't know the answer, as long as he's engaged and motivated enough, he'll have to look it up. I can't just say, no, 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 if you don't know, don't, don't bother with it. So <laughs> no, if I don't know, it's like, I'm a failure. 
That's how right. my brain, that's what my brain's right. telling me. Yeah. It's like, you asked me if I know, well, now I have to know because obviously this is a question worth knowing. I need yes. to know this. So it's a lot of times people think this is a personality trait and it's not because a personality trait would be, what do you value? Like I really value and care about making decisions based on data and facts and what's worked in the past. And so I'll ask a ton of questions, but I don't naturally go and do all the research. So on a scale of one to 10, seven through tens are people who are really going to start the problem solving process with gathering information, doing the details, other end of that continuum, one, two, three, four. So Sean's a four, I'm a three. I can really relate to this. I used to say my my son used to go to a two hour movie when he was a kid and come home and tell me about the movie for two hours. Oh, it would God. take him that long, right? <laughs> so, um, so, but what's important is that you guys make a great team. So David Colby and I work really closely together at Colby Corp. He's the CEO, I'm the president. He's an eight in fact finder, I'm a three. He'll gather all the information, he'll get the data down, and then I'll simplify it and give it to the team or to our clients or whatever. So you need both ends of the continuum and then people in the middle, kind of those four, five, and sixes are critical to bridge the differences between two people who are really different. So yeah, data, facts, information, we all live with that, but this isn't just your preference. I want to like use the word need. You have a need to take action that way. And if totally left to your own devices, you will start taking action that way. And I think we try and drill this out of our kids sometimes where we'll say, no, 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 too many questions or the teacher will shut down someone without realizing, no, this is a real need that you have to get your questions answered before you can move on. So I, I heard a, a kid who was in junior high told me recently, my teacher really doesn't understand me. Now that I know that I'm a nine in fact finder, she always makes me do an outline of a research project first. She forces me to do the outline. He's like, until I do my research, I don't know what the outline is because I don't have my data. And it's those little things that were, he was frozen for a whole week and couldn't move past it because it didn't make sense to him, right? So that happens at work a lot. And then the next one is all about organization. So I think we can all relate to the fact that, you know, the next mode that we look at is about structure. To what degree are you someone that will drive process system structure, or are you someone who really has a natural talent for being adaptable? And we need all ends of that continuum. Um, seven through tens are going to naturally organize in a more traditional way. Now, the one, twos, and threes, like Sanger, actually have a system. You just might not see it. So I would guess you are someone who, you know, you will not force closure on one thing before you move on. You're incredibly adaptable and you probably have a system and it's about piles, right? So there's stuff in, in yeah. random places yeah, and that's, yeah, a, and that's a system. <laughs> yeah. And you will actually jump from one thing to the next. If you had to do things in an incredibly sequential day all day long, that would take you out of your game. That would absolutely yeah. not work oh, yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. I would see Sanger it, growing up, we would have, you know, have projects or chores or things to do, you know, so if we're out at the ranch and say, Hey, you know, if we go on the ranch today, uh, do, you know, here's like five things that we need done. And I would go, dude, it looks like you're not writing this down. He's like, Oh, I'll get, I'll get it done. No, no, no. It, are, are you going to remember these? You should write them down, put it in your phone, do something. He's like, no, I got, I got it. And we'd come back. I go, did you do all those five things? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> 
some of that was just being a some of that's being a kid but you know but uh, you know so it's it's funny to we we got some confirmation on that you know as a two follow through well one that 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 wasn't your process you know building the process but it's not for it's not i i'm not going to naturally write down no but i have learned that in certain areas of life or in, in certain aspects of my professional career i've got to work against that tendency and so if i'm meeting with a client yeah i gotta write it down you know i gotta write down what we talked about (laughs) can't forget that right and i don't want to do that i don't enjoy it it doesn't help me in the certainly not in the moment helps me later but it doesn't help me in the moment because i'm ready to get started working on the things that we talked about and i don't need to write any of it down to get started working i'm gonna remember it i'm not gonna remember it six months three months, a year later, when it's important to reference it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I noticed a lot was with this particular um, zone is people are really willing to use it as a crutch and say, oh, well, I don't, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at follow through. You know, I'm not good at organization, so I don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a difference in um, recognizing your strengths and recognizing maybe your unique ways of processing and saying, oh, I'm not going to do my job. Using it as a crutch. Right. Yeah. Or not, I'm not going to write down my chore list, which you just, just write it down, dude. It's not hard. That's right. And that's about that end result. As long as you're getting excellent end result, it doesn't have to be done the way that your teacher told you. And, you know, when you were 10 years old on how to do things in a sequence, you might just need to delegate a bunch of those kinds of things too. get someone who really does do some of that naturally. And when you have to work against your grain, you can develop habits. And that's what it sounds like you've done with the client. Right. So that is, but here's what's so brilliant about that strength. Cause I do think it's drilled into us from the time that we're kids, that there's a certain way to get things done. And by the way, yeah, we have data yeah. on thousands of teachers and guess what? The majority of them, certainly kindergarten through eighth grade are seven, eights and nines in follow through. So they're teaching school to these kids who are one, twos, and threes who need to be adaptable. It's really stressful for those kids because they're living in this very bureaucratic environment. So we need the people who are adaptable to push back against that a little bit and say, can we get that in a quicker way? Do we really have to do all of those steps? And then as you're saying, no excuses. You just got to get that same end result. Yeah. Can we streamline this a little bit? I noticed that, um, a lot, the low follow through, low score follow through um, people will cut out all the garbage real quick. They'll cut out the garbage in a system that, you know, is a little clunky. Which is helpful. Um, yeah. Which you need. You need yeah. to know, oh, you know, we didn't need all 12 steps. Here. Right. And when yeah. things don't go according to plan, we need people who are adaptable to switch it up, right? We worked with the Phoenix Suns basketball team a lot and we've helped them with their draft picks and the one player who I can share his result with you because he shared it uh, publicly was a player named Dan Marley years ago and he ended up being an all-star and stuff. And I think he was the same as you on, on follow through. And it's like, yeah, well, when the game was on the line and the plan wasn't working, he would be switching it up. He wasn't following the course and you need someone like that, right? When it's when it's down to the wire. So Sean and I are a little more accommodating. So we will avoid creating full processes and systems, but we're highly accommodating to that. So um, yeah, that's our strength with that. So then there's quick start. Quick start is all about um, to what, how do you handle innovation? How do you drive change? Or are you someone that's more of a stabilizer? So seven through tens in quick start are people that start the problem solving process by saying, 
what are all the ways we could do this? They'll naturally brainstorm and they'll naturally just keep experimenting. So it's a lot of that. But the people on the other end, one, twos and threes, that end of the continuum, there are stabilizers. And I can't tell you how many entrepreneurial companies I have seen that are a bunch of people who are natural change makers, innovators, but push people out who are on that opposite end of the continuum and mm-hmm. the, the business completely falls apart because they don't have anyone stabilizing saying, wait, let's not change. Let's not fix what's working. Yeah. This stuff's working. Let's change the stuff that isn't. But they're this stabilizing force of saying, hey, that's too risky. You know, let's let's get through some of these things. So you need a balance there. And that is really one of those modes that I find um, is really liberating when people who are natural innovators find that out about themselves. They're like, oh my gosh, this I, is I wild. found it super, I had a business partner who was, who was opposite of me from that. So I, I'm, I tend to, uh, I'm a uh, seven on quick start and probably close to where you are, Amy. Yeah. And I found it really helpful to have somebody who might otherwise be looked at as somebody who was a, a balloon popper, you know, like, Oh, we're celebrating, you know, and he would just, you know, come in and kill the idea, <laughs> but it was super helpful so many times to keep us on, on the rails, to keep chaos from yeah. ensuing is to have somebody who thought like that. You're eight or so on quick start, yeah. Amy. Eight so quick start. I'm, I'm talking with Amy at ColbyCon. This is how I know that her relationship with uncertainty and risk, I'm talking with her and about halfway through my discussion I'm saying, oh, you should come on the podcast and talk about decision-making. I didn't even finish. She's like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, oh, not think about it at all. Sure, I didn't even have to explain what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, well, initiating quick starts also naturally discuss things. If you ask me to put things in an email, that's so much more frustrating. It's like, can we, can I just pick up the phone and call you? It's so much easier. (laughs) Yeah, this, this one, you know, it's an interesting mode because I think we need to make sure that we're focused on on allowing innovation to happen, but we need a team of people around us. As you were saying, you were lucky enough to have, but my goodness, the thing that frustrates me the most is when someone says, but we've always done it that way. I'm like, they know that's like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. That's the cannot stand that answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, but you need, yeah, you definitely need those, those stabilizers, stabilizers. Otherwise you've got chaos. Right. You know, some people are just going to create chaos for the sake of it. And entrepreneurs yeah. are great at doing that. Oh, that happened during the pandemic, by the way. There were entrepreneurs who actually said, I am secretly living my best life right now because we are in crisis and I'm getting to change everything. Mm-hmm. And then they realized that was great for a while, but don't really change everything because there are some things that absolutely still work in your business. But they were thriving. And here's what I find. And, and you guys, uh, you know what family business is like. I do, I do too. I live in that environment. What's fascinating about founders of an organization is they tend to say, okay, I'm going to start handing this over to the next generation. And they're initiating quick starts, but they have not found an outlet for that. So what they do is they start slowly creeping in and visiting the organization again and saying, hey, maybe we should make this tweak. And you don't stop changing who you are. If you're someone that naturally innovates, you've got to start a second company mm. or do something else. <laughs> Kathy yeah. Colby will say, you need to get out of you need to get out of the building. Oh, she and I, I wrote, told yeah, yeah. I, I told the guys that that bought my business and they wanted me to keep coming to some of their leadership meetings. And I finally uh, told them, I said, guys, I can't I can't go to those anymore. I will take over. 
I'll I'll start throwing throwing wrenches in your plans and I'll start, you know, innovating different ideas. I said, I can't. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You have, you have to know that because you didn't never stop innovating. And so yeah. what is that outlet for you? And by the way, Kathy Colby and I call that like uh, pizza ordering decisions. Cause one time when she was just transitioning out of the business, but she would come back every once in a while to sign some papers still. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, Hey, we're going to have a staff meeting and we ordered pizza. You want to stay for the pizza? And she immediately started criticizing the pizza. She, yep. she actually said, I don't think you ordered enough meat. And I, and, and I just, I pulled her into the other room and I said, are we really going to talk about the pizza? Because if you <laughs> cannot trust me right. to order pizza for a staff meeting, then I cannot run your business. Oh, that and was, so our, that was me. Yeah. 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 So that's our joke now is like, is this a pizza level decision or whatever it might be? But yeah. And then, Hey, last but not least is this mode that has everything to do with the tangible versus abstract. So this is what we call the implementer mode and think of it as, as use of implements or tools. So there are some people that very naturally solve problems in a tactile way and they actually use tools. So let me use medicine as an example. In medicine, what we see is surgeons have this high implementer number seven through 10. They're actually using tools to perform medicine versus internal medicine docs They'll ask you a bunch of questions. Often they never even lay hands on the patient and they're in an abstract way diagnosing you versus laying hands on you or using tools. So those tend to be the one, twos, and threes. So there are some industries that have a lot of these initiating implementers, uh, manufacturing and construction and medicine, where you've got a lot of people who are solving problems in the concrete. And then one, twos, and threes, hey, financial services, guess what? I see almost don't no have a lot of high scores there. No, no, I see a lot of one, one through fours kind of is these are people that are solving problems in an abstract way. Same thing with me. I provide a service. It's not a product. So um, that implementer mode is really critical. The fact that you need kids, especially to figure this out early, not everybody should go spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to college when they are really best served sometimes doing things in a, in a physical, tangible way. Sometimes if you're going to be a surgeon that requires a lot of school, sometimes not. So, um, a lot of our workplaces have gotten so much more abstract than they were years mm. ago. And so that ha- finding that outlet is, is really interesting. Yeah. It's interesting as how we move in the post pandemic world has accelerated this, but we move into a almost entirely service-based economy. It's, it's underutilizing some of the great skills and inherent strengths that a lot of people in this country have. We have, over the last two, three years, really leaned into people who have high quick start. Oh, all of a sudden we're all gonna work from home and isn't this great and this is so much better than everything we've ever done before. And this is, was, why were we ever even in the office? This is amazing. Right. Um, and you just didn't hear from low quick start saying, um, wait a second, <laughs> maybe it's not a good idea. And now that the dust has settled, people are starting to recognize, okay, you know what? Maybe there were some benefits, not saying it was perfect, but we just threw everything away. That was probably not a good idea. And then same thing with with underutilizing high implementers. You know, we have created, I think, this fantasy world where everything can be an experience-based company. <laughs> you know, no, it's, people need to make desks You know, some people need to just make light bulbs and we need companies. We need people that pave the roads. We need engineers. We need people who make stuff because without the people who make stuff, we don't have any services to offer. 
right? Um, the, being able to be a service-based company, forget an experience-based company, but a service-based company is a luxury in and of itself. You don't have any services at all if you're not making anything and you're not creating, you know, food and shelter. So sure. um, when we kind of just cast that whole group of people to the side, I think we're really underutilizing a lot of people's strengths. Right. And they're, they're in every business, we have to think about quality. We have to think about safety and mostly think about in technology. We've got people who are dealing with software, but then there's hardware. The hardware itself needs someone who has a natural sense of the tangible and will build solutions and use tools and um, naturally be able to see what's wrong too. So most businesses at least can use someone that's maybe in the four, five, and six range in some areas, but there's entire industries that need those people too. So I became aware of this and started using it with clients. You know, one of the, the ways that Sanger and I think about investing is we know that the best investors are the best decision makers and the best decision makers are people who understand how to utilize their strengths and understand their values and where those decisions are, are being formed. And so we started using this with our clients as, as they come in and it was helpful for me as a financial advisor, a singer, I'm sure as well, to be able to relate to the client in the way that they're wanting to be interacted with. And so people who want a lot of detail, if I, if I know that I can give you a lot of detail in the explanations. I know you want the numbers and I know the, I know not to round off the numbers to say it's about a hundred bucks to sure. say, no, it's $99 and 75 some, cents. Some numbers <laughs> I'm not going to ask for, cause I don't want to wait for you to go find. Oh the yeah. Right no, number. I did. Right. I did find that. I, I know not to ask uh, somebody who's a high fact finder, their budget. How much is in, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. How yeah. much is in your savings account right now? Uh, well, let me hold go. on. Let me, hold let me on. log I in. I have that somewhere. Let me log <laughs> oh, in. Oh, no, no, hundred thousand. No. I mean, with, it. within $50,000, <laughs> give or take. That's right. But I also know that somebody who, let's say seven, eight, nine on, on implementer wants to leave with a folder, wants to leave with a brochure, wants to leave yes. with a printout of the notes of that day. One of the things I learned is that someone who is a, maybe a seven, eight, nine on quick start, who has a high comfort level with uncertainty and risk will make the decision to go into an investment very quickly or to adopt an investment philosophy or even work with me. They'll make that decision yeah. very quickly. What I learned was that they will also make the decision to abandon that and do something else just as quickly. Just as quickly. They dabble. So I yeah. had to stop and go, okay, now I understand you want to do this. Let me, let's walk through the reasons why you're doing that or tell me the, re, you know, what you'll get out of doing this. One time this was actually a friend of mine. Uh, he goes, yeah, you know, I want to do this and hire you to do you know all this stuff. And he agreed to just hire my company to do a bunch of work for him. And I said, what do you think you'll get out of that? And he's like, huh, I don't know. I don't know. And so I said, well, we need to stop. <laughs> you have just hire me. You don't even know what you're going to get out of it. Let's, let's right. walk through this a bit. <laughs> but he was just, it's a good business model. If you can get people to pay you and they don't even, oh, know, they don't even know why they were hiring. Yeah. Yeah. Right. How does that affect when you guys, do you ever work with, you know, family businesses or families together, or just even a husband and wife or significant oh, other spending money together where they're really different? Yeah. It's, 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 um, really cool when I can talk with a family and know that information about them and they know it and they're aware, you know, at least on a base level of what it all means. Um, because I can say, okay, Hey, you know what, Amy? Um, I know that you know this. I know you don't have any interest in me explaining this. You can just turn away and I'm going to talk to Richard right now. And right. it's all this, like you, it, 
we're going to, we're just going to have a conversation for two minutes and you can tune out and make a joke about their differences, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, right. and then sometimes people will, Oh, geez, thank you. Like I didn't want to pay attention for that. Or I yeah, you're right. I don't care. Cause I got the gist three minutes ago. Right. Um, I used to tell my financial advisor, the very first person I ever had. And again, I'm a three in fact finder. So bottom line it, I said, can you just talk to me? Like I'm a sixth grader, like just, just start with the basics and then let me ask questions. And then I'll go from there. She's like, yeah, no problem. And I know some people don't feel comfortable with that because they'll think like I'm not smart enough and they don't want to appear. Yeah. But I, I really said, Hey, just start super basic. And then I'll ask questions. And he was great. Most people are very polite. And so they won't ask because not because that's a rude question, but because they're afraid of, you know, they're just going to defer to whatever the advisor wants to do. Okay. You know, this must be important. So I'm going to let him explain the whole, the nuance of, you know, monetary policy for 35 minutes. Like you need all that information. You know, um, you're bringing up such a good point. And that is that once you understand more about your own unique strengths and you finally embrace it, because a lot of us spend a lifetime trying to change who we are, but let's say you're yeah. really embracing it. You have to communicate that to everybody in your life. You need to people that you're working with say, here's a tip for working with me and your financial advisor and your significant other. I mean, this is where you just say, Hey, here's the way I naturally operate. I heard yes. once someone talking about, you know, just like a computer or a phone or something has an operating system, we all have an operating system too. And so the ability to say, here's the manual for working with me makes it easier for everybody. You're going to get your needs met and it's better for them as well. And there's a little activity we do with Colby where we do what's one tip for working with me and, and leadership teams or just teams of people that work together, go around the room. And they're always surprised by hearing some things from people about, hey, here's how to approach me. Here's how to communicate with me. I find that when I talk to people about this topic, I have to reinforce with them their strengths, the way they initiate action, their instincts don't change. They're not going to change. We're not going to try and change them, but we want to understand them so that we can lean into them and put somebody in a position where they can make the best decisions for them using their strengths. So it's, you know, that's, that's the thing I always try and communicate when people are going through this. If we understand it and I'm working with a couple and one of them is really comfortable with risk and, and uncertainty and the other isn't that we bring that out and say, well, you know, this person, you know, they're probably screaming and they're, you know, you're pressing on the gas, they're pressing on the brake. And, and let's understand that that's yeah. the dynamic but also that that dynamic is never going to change. Right. They're, they're a high quick start. You're a low quick start. So sometimes you're going to have to just, we're going to have to create a plan that allows them to feel like they're changing stuff up. Uh -huh. Realistically, we can't change our goals every three months. That's right. not a good plan. No. We can't right. change strategy every three months either. That's a worse plan. How can we create a plan that allows you to be fulfilled in your want to try new things and allows your spouse to be fulfilled in their want to keep the things working that are working. And, right. and, and when everyone understands it, I think it's a lot easier. It's way easier than just yeah. kind of people feel like they can talk about it too. And they can say, Oh yeah, that's that you do that thing. There you go again, doing your thing. And it's, you know, wanting to change things up. That's not a negative. It's not, um, and it's not like taboo and it doesn't feel insulting. It's like, yeah, we all know. We all know Mark likes to, you know, hit the ground running. Right. That's okay. And then, you can, and then you can laugh at it, right? And it's predictable. Yeah. 
I like being able to predict how people are going to respond to things sometimes versus being surprised. So it's kind of predictable. And yeah, if you think you're going to change this certain somebody in your life, it's not happening when it comes to how you naturally execute or solve problems, how you instinctively get things done. There are lots of things about ourselves that we need to keep improving and changing. And those need to be way more focused on, you know, how do you get more done with less stress or how do you, um, you know, what are some of the things about you personality wise that you need to, you know, compensate for sometimes. So we all have a personality trait that maybe goes too far, whatever it might be, but you don't need to change your natural way of getting things done. If the more we, we get that clear, there's so much less stress and headache and just capitalize on your strengths and quit trying to change who you are. That's just not a winning strategy. And then decision-making, the bottom line on decision-making is when you're really tied into, you know who you are, you know your strengths, um, you'll, as I was saying earlier, weed out all this bad advice that you might be hearing, um, but you'll also know who has complementary strengths or to go to for what to help you out. And then decision-making just becomes more clear because you can just stop listening to some of the advice that you know doesn't work for you. Yeah, stop letting people tell you that you need to operate within a system that's not going to not going to function for you. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, that, There's a I lot of that, gurus out there that are going to tell you that this is what I did and here's how much you have to train or I get up every morning at this time and this is what I do and you have to pick and choose little pieces of that and then yeah, see what yeah. going to work for you. Yeah, I think that's it's also like people, you know, Bad advice comes when we share tactics without understanding the why, right? And so there's a lot of bad financial advice that, that might be good for someone, but is terrible for you. There's a lot of good fitness advice that, um, or a lot of bad fitness advice that might be good for someone, but it's terrible for you. And you got to understand so much more about yourself if you're seeking advice or about your client, if you're giving advice, um, before you can even start to talk about tactics, you know, I mean, I, I was in the, um, the jujitsu gym last night and I was talking to this buff guy, just huge, massive jacked dude. And I was like, Hey, you know, how much, um, realistically could I gain? How much muscle could I gain, you know, in a couple months, you know, without doing any drugs and he created a training plan for me in that room. And I'm like, dude, I, this can't be good. Like it can't, <laughs> you know, it can't, it can't be the best training plan. You don't know anything about me other than right. want to gain muscle. I don't even know if that is true. Like maybe I mm -hmm. don't want to gain maximum amount of muscle. Maybe I just want to like look a little bit better. That's what I was saying. Right. Um, so it's like, you got to understand the why, and then you got to understand how, how is this guy going to work? Because he outlined this very detailed, like rigid plan. So on Mondays, you're going to do this. And I was like, Oh, hell no. Like there's no <laughs> chance that I'm going to sit there and repeat the exact same thing for eight weeks. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go in and go, Oh, I saw this cool YouTube video about this one weird exercise. I'm going to try that today. You know, I know I was supposed to do chest, but what if I did chest and back? How about that? I'm going to like switch it up. And it's, it's like, that was such a microcosm of all of the bad advice that gets given all the time in every aspect of life. It's, mm -hmm. you, you really need to know what your strengths are so you can filter out 
advice that's not tailored to you and also know how to give advice that's tailored to someone. Yeah. Giving advice is critical too, because a lot of people hire business coaches and I love business coaches. We know a lot of them, but if you're only giving advice like that guy did to you, he gave you the exact opposite of what you needed. He gave you like the nine and follow through plan and you're the adaptable you yeah. know, two and follow through. As a coach, we do this all the time in life and in business. We're like, here's how you build a successful business. This is what you do. And that person needs to know enough about themselves to figure that out. Yeah. Great example. Thank you so much for being here, Amy. I learned a lot. I'd spend time with Colby every day and I feel like, you know, there's there's still so much to learn. That's what makes it so cool is I don't know if you really ever can be a complete expert. I mean, you might disagree with me, but I don't feel that way. I feel like I learn always and forever. And it's been nothing but helpful for me in my role as an advisor and just as a person, knowing it about myself. Where can people find you and find out more about Colby? Sure. Well, the best way is just to go to colby.com and it's spelled K-O-L-B-E.com. And our website has tons of information on both use personally and professionally some good research in there for people that need that. Um, or you can go to LinkedIn if you want some good examples and some videos. Uh, go to our LinkedIn page, Colby Corp on LinkedIn page. Awesome. Thanks, Amy. Perfect. Of course. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Thanks for being with us. You know, I've been a certified Colby consultant for about five years. And so I'm really interested in the topic, but I wasn't sure what my takeaway was going to be. Here's what it is. It's when you look at the three parts of the mind, looking at the, the cognitive awareness, looking at the affective feelings, looking at the conative instincts. Conative instincts are how you're initiating action. But when you're working collaboratively with someone, it's going to be important for you to not only know how you initiate action, how you tend to take action. It'd be important to know that to make good decisions so that you don't veer into a, a danger zone, but also to communicate, here's how I tend to do things with somebody. So if you and I are collaborating on a project, it would be important for, for me to communicate with you. Here's how I, I tend to do it this way. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying it's advantageous. I'm not saying it's the best, but this is what I tend to do when making a decision. So I think that was my takeaway is communicating those strengths and those instincts when you're collaboratively deciding. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. You know, I, I'm aware of my own Colby strengths. Um, but when she said it's kind of our responsibility, once you're aware to let other people know, I was like, Oh, it's also my responsibility to remind myself, you know, I do a good job of being aware of other people's strengths. Mm -hmm. Oh, when I'm talking to I'm talking to dad, he's low, he's lower fact finder than me. So I need to give him shorter explanations, but I need to know that about myself. Like, Oh, if I'm, I'm a high quick start, I can get sold. Yeah. I can get sold something yeah. very easily. So I need to make sure that I am having a, a low quick start person in that sales pitch, or at least, you know, have to, I need to get their approval or, um, or give yourself some time to think about it or give myself time to mm -hmm. think about it or something, you know, I've got to set set things up uh, so that I can make better decisions. But my, my takeaway was uh, Amy's share about the question that Kathy Colby asked her, how do you define success? That's a question that I think we all need to have as concise and clear of an answer as Kathy. Uh, I did not have that answer ready to go locked and loaded, but I'm going to steal that answer. Success is having the freedom to be yourself. 
That's easy. It should be not only easy to define success, but it should be easy to answer the question, how do you define success? <laughs> I shouldn't have to think about it. So I'm totally stealing that. And now I don't ever have to think about it again because it is the freedom to be yourself. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.